0: Good morning Africa and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, July the 14th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Authorities in South Africa have arrested the owner of a bar and two employees in connection with the death of 21 teenagers who lost their lives at a tavern last month under mysterious circumstances.
1: Officials say the three suspects face charges of violating the Liquor Act, while a forensic investigation into the cause of the deaths continues.
0: Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari says that his time in office has been tough, saying that he was eager to leave office. But many are asking, did he leave to the expectations of Nigerians who gave him two mandates in office?
2: What I expected the government to have done is to identify the, the
3: loopholes on the lookout, and whoever is not delivering in such a person need to be
0: and to replace. And as Kenyan's gear up for presidential election on Ion Savek sees a close race between the two leading presidential candidates. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Debreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, authorities in South Africa have arrested the owner of a bar and two employees in connection with the death of 21 teenagers who lost their lives at a tavern last month under mysterious circumstances. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa.
1: A team of detectives working on the case made the arrests. Officials say the three suspects face charges of violating the Liquor Act, while a forensic investigation into the cause of the deaths continues. The two employees, ages 33 and 34, have been fined $118, while the owner must appear in court for his alleged role in selling alcohol to minors. The 21 youths, the youngest of whom was just 13 years old, died in the early hours of Sunday, June 26. Some had been celebrating the end of mid-year exams. There is speculation they ingested something poisonous or were the victims of a gas leak. Others at the tavern made it to hospital where they were treated for headaches and vomiting and discharged after observation. Police have appealed for patience as the investigation continues. The 52-year-old bar owner will appear in the East London Magistrates Court in the Eastern Cape Province on August 19th. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa.
0: Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari this week described his over seven-year rule as tough, saying that he was eager to leave office. Nigeria is months away from its general election to elect a new leader. President Buhari's administration has been too often criticized over security and economic challenges, two areas he promised to address during his election bid in 2015. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. President Buhari made
3: the statement last Monday in his hometown in Dara, where he had visited to mark the Muslim holidays. The statement was a response to security issues bedeviling the West African nation. Buhari said, quote, I am grateful to God that people appreciate personal sacrifices we have been making." End quote. The president especially noted that security challenges have been more severe in northwestern Nigeria in recent years compared to the northeast where terror group Boko Haram has been active since 2009. In the northwest, armed gangs known locally as bandits have been looting, killing and kidnapping people for ransom. The president also said he, quote, wishes his successor the very best, end quote. But his comments have generated criticism from citizens. Among them is Abuja resident Alexander Sunday.
2: It was already obvious that he failed as a president. He promised us good electricity, good economy, and she even emphasized on security. Hey, look at the
0: incident that happened last week. His convoy was attacked by some bandits. So I don't see I don't see that as a very good statement coming from Mr. President.
3: The president was not in the convoy. However, critics argue that insecurity has grown under his administration, but authorities reject this assertion, stating there has been relative peace and development. Last week, ISIS affiliate, the Islamic State West Africa province, claimed responsibility for a jailbreak in Nigeria's capital that freed hundreds of inmates, including high-profile terrorism suspects. Another Abuja resident, Ahmed Umar, says he once had high expectations for Buhari's government. What I expected the government to have done is to identify the the loopholes Walk on the liberals, and whoever is not delivering such a person needs to be removed and be replaced. Presidential and parliamentary elections will take place February 25th and March 11th, respectively. Buhari's ruling All Progressives Congress is being represented by 70-year-old former Lagos State Governor Bola Ahmed Tinubu, but many citizens are hoping to challenge fat choice at the ballot with a much younger candidate. I'm Tim Theobezu, Daybreak Africa, in Abuja, Nigeria.
0: Civil rights groups in Malawi are pushing President Lazarus Chakwera to lift his immunity from prosecution and to trim presidential powers and fight fraud and mismanagement. At a press conference this week, the group said that doing so would clear him of suspicions of involvement in some of the corruption scandals that have engulfed his two-year-old administration. But Chakwera says that he's not ready to do so. Lamek Masina has more from Blantyre. Rights Group Center
2: for Democracy and Economic Development Initiative says taking away immunity could convince Malawians that he is committed to his campaign promises. Sivesta Namiwam is its executive director.
4: The president made a pledge that when ushered into office he is going to ensure that he should trim presidential powers by first of all scrapping off presidential immunity, which is contained in section ninety one subsection two of the Republican constitution. Now what we are saying is you are just reminding President Utalaza Serveda.
2: The call comes weeks after Malawi's Vice President Saulos Chilima told the journalists that ending presidential immunity from prosecution is needed to fight corruption. Chirima's remarks come after President Chakwera suspended him from carrying out some official duties over allegations of involvement in a scandal regarding allocation of government contracts. Chirima says the end of presidential immunity from prosecution is one of the concrete goals of the governing Tonse alliance. Chirima's party... The United Transformation Movement is the key partner in the alliance, which comprises nine political parties. Chirima said his party strongly advocates for the amendment of a section in the Constitution of Malawi, which provides a due protection to a serving president. Anthony Kasunda, is the spokesperson for President Jaquera. He told a press conference that the issue of trimming powers is not a priority at the moment. Kasunda said the president's focus for now is on repealing old laws that infringe on the rights of the majority. At the moment, the
5: president is uh, preoccupied uh, with pushing for legislative changes, especially those that affect Malawians. You have seen parliament passing land laws, NGO Act, amended, and the um He has uh, uh, initiated the review of seditious laws in Malawi. All these targets Malawians.
2: Namiwa disagrees with the president's current agenda. The changing
6: of
4: uh, uh, tune on the part of Dr. Raza only validates fear that he, he is the chief beneficiary of the rampant corruption under his watch that is affecting millions of Malawians. We will not allow any politician to get away with their own
2: promises. Sheriff Kaisi is a political science lecturer at the Blanta International University. He says expecting President Chakwera to remove his presidential immunity is a waste of time.
4: I don't see the president accepting that at all. He promised, But to me, I take that was uh, a campaign
0: promise, not a reality thing that uh, would be, I uh, you know, done by him as he is holding office now.
2: However, Namiwa says his organization will, at an appropriate time, hold a mass demonstration if President Chakweram fails to relinquish his presidential immunity from prosecution. Lamek Masina for VUA News, Blanta, Malawi.
0: Debrick Africa continues as Kenyans gear up for presidential election on August the 9th. A new opinion survey conducted by Trends and Insights Africa sees a close race between the two leading presidential candidates. Maggie Ireri is the CEO of Trends and Insights Africa. She says the study shows Raila Odinga of the Azimio La Umoja won Kenya party with 42% of respondents and current Deputy President William Ruto of the Kenya Kwanzaa Party with 39%. She tells VOA's James party that the survey also shows that Odinga's selection of female running mate Martha Karua did not substantially increase his support among women.
7: If you look at the presidential race, Raila Odinga support has increased from 27% in February 2022 to 42% in June 2022 whereas the Deputy President William Ruto's support levels has remained between 38% and 39% in the same period. So what you're seeing is uh, an increase in Raila Odinga's support, and a, can I say a no increase or a stagnation of William Ruto's support levels? The other thing we're seeing is a decline in the number of undecideds, which is very good, because they're getting closer to the election. So the undecideds have declined from 20% in February 2022, to 10% in June 2022.
4: So can we say that uh, this is a statistical tie? Because for those of us who are following the campaigning, it would seem that Raila Odinga is walking all over Ruto.
7: So the, the margin of error in for data is minus plus 2%. So I'd that like, Raila Odinga has a razor thin lead against William Ruto. Uh, so I not say it's a walkover. And also, if you remove the undecided from the sample, And those who did not respond, Raila Odinga does not have the 50% plus one required by the law to be declared the president. So it's not yet over the race. We cannot definitely see a clear winner now.
4: You know, I would say Africa, but particularly in Kenya, politics seem to be based on tribal affiliation. Did any of the candidates support cuts across Kenya as opposed to regional support?
7: So your comment is correct, because in Kenya, voting patterns are aligned with the voters' tribal affiliation. So if I can look at the two main candidates, uh, that is Raila Odinga and William Ruto, we see that um, for William Ruto, his support is from two main tribes. That is his own tribe, which is uh, Kalenjin, and then the Mount Kenya tribe. And then the other tribes have various support for him. Now, if we look at uh, Raila Odinga, his main support is coming from one major tribe, and then the other support is distributed across various tribes. So in this election, the election will be decided by... Three main tribes. That is the Kikuyu, the Kalenjin, and the Luo. The Luo's and the Kalenjin's have already decided who they're going to vote for. So the battleground is the Kikuyu. that's where a lot of these candidates are spending a lot of time.
4: So Mr. Odinga has picked a female running mate. Did this give Mr. Odinga an added advantage over his uh, main challenger, Mr. Ruto?
7: That's a fantastic question because when Martha Karua was selected as uh, Raila Odinga's running mate, the expectation was that she was going to attract the vote of more females for Raila Odinga. But unfortunately, that is not the case that we're seeing in our data. So we see that Martha Karua appears to have had no impact in increasing uh, Raila support amongst women. And what we're even seeing is that the combined ticket of the two is attracting more male voters. Now, when we look at um, the main competitor, William Ruto, we find that his support is almost equal between males and females.
4: So, Manji, how many people did you contact for your survey?
7: This was a national survey with a a sample of 1,533 respondents, and we did uh, telephonic interviews with the voters in Kenya.
4: Manji, thank you so much again for talking with us on Daybreak Africa.
7: Most welcome, and thank you for reaching out. That was Maggie Iredi. She's the CEO
0: of Trends and Insights Africa. She was speaking to VOA's James Bati from Nairobi in Kenya. Zambian President Hakainde Hichelama is calling on the diaspora to play an active part in development. Hichelama, whose administration has declared the Zambian diaspora community the country's 11th province, says that the government appreciates their contribution to the country. Kathy Short has more from Livingstone in Zambia.
8: It was a hive of activity in Zambia's tourist capital, Livingstone, for several days, ranging from sharing experiences, skills and knowledge transfer, art and culture. Almost a thousand delegates from the Zambian diaspora community recently came together to host the first ever conference aimed at enhancing their engagement with the government. President Hichilema told participants that the days when the diaspora was subjected to neglect are over. He says Zambians working overseas are an asset.
2: This is a
4: writing call to Zambian people to take charge over our shared destiny. Embrace hard work. We lost the art of hard work in the last 10, mostly 7 years. We began to think that we can have good lives without working we invite your experiences what you have experienced outside the country is needed most now. and if you can refinance some of the assets you have in those jurisdictions where you live and then you can invest some of that
6: back home you will do more than remittances to family members
8: and Belinda Chanda, representing Zambians working in the United Nations, says the time has come for the diaspora to come together and develop the country. Belinda is based in Thailand.
7: But because we also had the ambition of, you know, being recognised by the government, and we interacted, we had been interacting with them uh, on the diaspora policy, we also came to know of uh, entities such as uh, Zambia Together in the UK. And through the various town halls that they were holding, and uh, because of establishing that network and taking advantage of uh, you know joint activities, we are, we realized that um, you know we were better off uh, together, you know, in terms of trying to influence you know changes and uh, the development in our country. And this has also been prompted by the fact that technology today is bringing everybody closer together.
8: It is estimated that there are over half a million Zambians in the diaspora working in various fields. Most of the diaspora is based in the United States, South Africa, Canada and the United Kingdom. In 2020, the World Bank estimated a total of 100 million U.S. dollars in remittances which constitute a significant contribution, thereby positioning Zambia's diaspora as key stakeholders in the country's socio-economic development. I'm Kathy Short for VOA News in Livingston, Zambia.
0: You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. In Rwanda, 34 police officers from nine African countries concluded a year-long training on peace, security, and justice at the Rwanda Peace Academy. Among the topics they studied was the role in promoting community policing, fighting terrorism, and working with the media. The graduates say they are going to use their new skills to address security threats in their countries. From Kigali, Eugene Wimana has this story. To link the theories and the, and
6: the practice from the... this is Brigadier General Dut Deng Dut from South Sudan. He's one of the senior police officers who have concluded a year long training on the roles they can play in establishing sustainable peace in their countries. Since 2013, South Sudan has been paralyzed by a civil war that has claimed more than 400,000 lives. He says lessons learned on leadership will help him play his part in preventing possible future conflicts.
5: We have learned a lot of theories in the class. We have also learned a lot of uh, leadership concepts in the class. And we had also been practicing also leadership wherever we are coming from because we are senior officers in different, in
3: different institutions that we are coming from.
6: In this training, the brigadier general says police officers learn self-discipline and help keep order With proper training and professional behaviour, the police could also help resist oppressive governments and only follow the law. Rwanda's Minister of Justice and Attorney General say equipping African police officers with leadership skills is an important way to create a continent with leadership based on the rule of law.
5: Most recurrent conflicts in Africa, if
0: not all, are associated with governance shortfalls characterised by... uh, failure to recognize and manage uh, diversity which leads to exclusion or marginalization of a section of the population resulting into structural uh, violence insurgency violent extremism or terrorism
6: the police in africa have been criticized for poorly handling security-related detentions like brutally dispersing protesters and assisting governments that torture dissidents prof patrick or Is the director of the Kenya School of Law and a renowned Pan-Africanist. He says to achieve needed professionalism, a country's political culture must be put at the center.
2: Culture means a lot more. And I'm now saying that as we strengthen our judicial system, let us begin to unpack culture and see how we can infuse it into our judicial system. Because... As long as we keep on rethinking and doing the things that we do, Africa will never know genuine peace. Africa will never know genuine security. Another
6: topic the police officers studied concerned how to engage the media, experts say, biased reporting, incites violence and fuels conflict. This is political and media expert, Janari Urimuengu. It's like fire. It can cook your food, but it can burn you. It's like water. It quenches thirst, but it can drown you. So it is political. The training includes the importance of providing facts to journalists but not revealing any details that would endanger national security. The officers are instructed not to attack reporters when they cover strikes and not to interfere with the work of investigative journalists. They also learned negotiation skills for dealing with the terrorists and how to monitor migration movements that could include militants. And the police officers learned how to improve community policing skills including improving public awareness campaigns against crime. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Chigali, Rwanda.
0: 3D printing is a technology that is forecast to change the world. It mimics regular paper printing, where a computer-aided design is sent to a printer for direct manufacture. In several advanced countries, large companies are already deploying 3D printing to design workflows. But is it taking root in developing countries like Nigeria? From Lagos, Samuel Okocha reports on how young people are driving the use of the technology.
5: From his workshop in Lagos, engineer Akinwole Akinkebelu runs his own agency, Stampa3D, which he says aims to bring the emerging and exciting world of 3D printing to the Nigerian market. While client in engineering and manufacturing form a major part of his customer base, Akinwole says he often gets orders from a wide range of industries, including fields like medicine. I get requests from surgeons that, that, you know, that they use 3D printing to make cutting guides to help them within the surgery. So I know um, teaching us here in Lagos and Ibadan. A regular client of mine, they'll just send me the cutting guide or maybe the specific details of the patient. And then, you know, we get that 3D printer, send it back to them, and then it aids in the surgery that they're about to perform. Uh, I think one, one of the surgeons actually said it saved them about six hours of uh, surgery time. So the, the adoption has actually been really widespread. Akin is not the only one deploying 3D printing technology in Lagos for clients. It's also gaining prominence among young people, including university students like Fadil Ojifini.
6: Your goal is to have a 3D printer to do personal projects, my own personal projects, but then things got less out of hand. Fadil
5: Ojifin is a 500-level mechanical engineering student in his final year at the University of Lagos. He says 3D printing has grown from a personal project to a tool for solving problems for a variety of clients.
6: People knew you have 3D printers and then they start asking for Alpha, let me print this thing. Alpha, can I do this with this this 3D printer? What are the things you can do with this? So eventually I started collecting orders for jobs and I started doing them on my free time. I would say about 20% of my orders come from students. 40% of my orders come from artists. Probably the remaining 40% just random people that just want to solve one or two problems that they have.
5: Back at Stampa 3D, Akinwali says young people are gradually driving the adoption of 3D printing in Nigeria, potentially increasing the country's manufacturing capabilities in the coming years. Observers say the new technology could cut Nigeria's need for import for many goods, including medical prosthetics, spare parts for vehicles and electronics, teaching aids, clothing and fashion accessories. Experts say 3D printing offers a useful option to local manufacturers and this can become a backbone for local startups looking to develop homegrown solutions to Nigeria's need for
0: imported goods. Samuel Okocha for VOA News in Lagos, Nigeria. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vunganyi in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.